This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter and host of the Patient Zero podcast, Olivia Willis. And I'm physician and journalist, Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday, the 7th of May, 2021. Nice to have you back again, Liv. Thanks, Norman. It's good to be here. Happy to be keeping the seat warm for Teagues. Now, yesterday we discussed the case of the Sydney man who tested positive for COVID-19 on Wednesday, and it's the first case of community transmission that we've had in New South Wales in some time. So since then, at the time of recording, we've got one additional case. That's the man's wife. She tested positive also on Wednesday. He has nine other close contacts who have been tested. They're all negative, which is good news. Now, interestingly, the man's wife, we talked about yesterday how the man himself had low CT values, I believe. She has high CT values. Just remind us of what that means. So the CT value is really a reflection of the infectiousness of the virus to be crude about it. It's more complicated than that. And the high CT, so and paradoxically, a low CT means more infectious. And it means that you're really in the prime of the infection. And a high CT can mean either you're late in the infection or early in the infection. It's not yet super infectious. And it turns out that uh, the partner is probably early in the infection. I think they were saying yesterday that they would expect the CT value to go down in his partner and uh, to become more infectious. In other words, they've caught this before it becomes um, much more infectious. Okay, well, that's good news. And the other kind of key finding yesterday was the results of the genomic testing. So that's located the original source of the infection in an overseas case, a traveller who was staying at the Park Royal Hotel in Darling Harbour. The sequencing shows he tested positive for COVID-19 on day one of quarantine, was moved to a different facility. And had come in from the United States. Had come in from the United States and... I guess the the key issue here is we don't know the missing link between the traveller and the man in Sydney. That's right. So, but it it does give them a time frame which is relatively short from the end of April, endish of April, through to now, and uh, the the contact tracers have really got to find where this link is because there's somebody out there who's been spreading the virus. So, and there were opportunities here where the person came in, they were tested, they got transferred, presumably they went on a bus other people handling them. The opportunities for spread are quite considerable. They're looking at CCT footage. And maybe later on today, we'll find out more about that. But the potential here is that there's somebody out there spreading the virus without knowing it. Right. So the risk lies in that kind of journey of transportation, probably from the hotel to this other facility. There's two things you've got to do in contact tracing. One is, which is the obvious one to start off with, which is who who have you come in contact with? Where have you been? Finding out your contacts there. But with this virus because it spreads in clusters, you've got to find the cluster or whether there was a cluster from which this person found it that you don't know about. So you've got to go back in time as far as you need to. The good thing here is you don't have to go too far back in time because you know exactly when this person arrived in Australia. So there's a few days where you've just got to find out how long this virus has been circulating in the community. Remember, as a note of reassurance here as well, is that 80% of people who are infected don't spread. But that doesn't apply here. Somebody has spread already. And this person has spread in a domestic situation. So this is a situation where this virus is spreading. And they're going to have to find out where it came from. The variant that was detected is the B16172 variant. Norman, what do we know about this? So this is the variant that um, appeared in Maharashtra province or state in India. 
back in, I think it was October, late 2020. It's the one which is called the double mutant. It's still only considered a variant of interest, but potentially it could be vaccine resistant and potentially it could be more contagious. I mean, it's certainly spread to other countries. It looks as though it is more contagious, but whether it's more dangerous or vaccine resistant is yet to be determined. But it's originated in India. Right, but has come via the US. Yes, I'm not quite sure where this person was before they were before they came here, where they originated in India. But there are about 17 countries in the world which are showing this variant. So you don't have to have come from India. The other key development in the last 24 hours is new information about blood clotting associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So we had the TGA give a press conference yesterday afternoon. They said that they've had five additional cases since last week, which brings us to a total of 11 blood clotting indices incidents with the vaccine since the rollout. These have all happened in people over 50 in the last week. That's because we're only really giving the vaccine to people over 50 at the moment. Now, it's 11 cases in about 1.4 million doses. In terms of frequency of clots, is that what we would expect to see? It's varied a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, I mean, at one point I thought it might be as low as one in a million in people who are over 50. But that's because the results were biased towards younger people when you were getting the international data in. It's stabilising out to about 1 in 100,000 doses for people over 50. And it's probably around about 1 in 20, 1 in 30,000 for under 50. But as you rightly say, that's a thing of the past now in Australia. It's the over 50s that count. And the good news here is that we heard yesterday that most of these people have gone home Mm. and gone quite well. Some of them have gone back to work. And I think what's happening here and what we saw early on was a 25, 40% mortality rate in this group of people. But I think that was because of late diagnosis and also bad treatment. Well, not bad treatment. They didn't know it was bad treatment at the time. Is that we we now know that you don't give heparin to these people to anticoagulate them. You probably don't give warfarin as well, which is another blood thinner. You don't give aspirin because you can get hemorrhage because you've got low platelets. And while paradoxically these platelets are sticky and cause clots, you've also not got very many of them in your body, which means you're exposed to hemorrhage. If you take aspirin, you could be exposed to hemorrhage as well. So they're treating it as an immune disorder now. I think that the 44-year-old man in Box Hill a few weeks ago, he got high-dose steroids and he gets immunoglobulin. And I think immunoglobulin, although they're not absolutely sure that's the right thing to give, it does seem to be working. And this early diagnosis, as far as I'm aware now from these cases, is that GPs have recognised it and they've got onto it very quickly and people have got into hospital and got the right treatment early before it's progressed too far. So all that's good news. Now, in recent weeks, we've been talking about the vaccines and their efficacy, of course, against some of the new variants. We know Moderna was kind of leading the charge when it comes to developing new vaccines, specifically against these variants. There was some new research uh, in the last couple of days, which I think showed that Moderna, their first vaccine tweaked against the variants that seems to have successfully neutralised them in lab trials. Yes, that, that's right. So the so there has been some work, you know, good news coming out of, in terms of antibody response to the Moderna one, which is good. And it's likely that these new vaccines are going to be approved not on clinical trials, but on their antibody response because the platform has been proven to be effective. And safe. And safe. And that's what happens with influenza vaccines. You've just got to be able to prove that you're producing the antibodies to it. The other two in the New England Journal are to the Novavax vaccine, which is really publishing the data that we kind of knew already, which is that it's reasonably... So Novavax is a protein-based vaccine. We've ordered 50 million of them. And so they, they inject the spike protein directly into the body with an immune stimulant. 
and it's showing efficacy against the South African variant, which is vaccine resistant, but at a rate of about 50%. And then there was also a study from Qatar in this week's New England Journal of Medicine, which was observing the effect of the Pfizer vaccine as the variant from South Africa, the B1351, got into Qatar. So at the moment, 50% of cases in Qatar are the B1351, the South African one, and 44% are the so-called Kent variant or UK variant, which is the B117. And what they showed was reasonably good effectiveness, 75% effectiveness against infection with the Pfizer against the South African variant. So that's great news. Terrific. Now, we've got a question that's been submitted by Linda. And Norman, she wants to know a little bit more about how you've gone since your vaccination. Um, She says her son, who is 27, had the AstraZeneca vaccine and had severe shaking for four hours and was sick for a few days. How have you gone? So the the data suggests that uh, it's the first dose of the Astra and the second dose of the Pfizer that tend to give you these sort of reactions, probably worse in women than men. So I, the night of the vaccine, a couple of nights ago, I got a bit of a chill, just a little bit of a chill, and a bit of a headache. And yesterday during the day, I had um, some muscle aches and pains and felt a bit seedy. We've, of course, been talking a lot about blood clots with AstraZeneca. They're very rare. But for people in your position, you've had the shot. What kind of symptoms perhaps should you be on alert for or might you be looking for? Well, nothing in the first day or two. So the things that that I've been having with the chills and the muscle aches and pains and feeling a little bit crap, that's got nothing to do with clots and doesn't predict anything. Really, it's after day four. So if after day four, round about up to two weeks afterwards, I was to develop a headache, blurred vision, abdominal pain, a pain in my calf, those sorts of things, that's where I would go off to the GP and get my blood test done. But these muscle aches and pains, not too much to be worried no, the, about. This, the, the, after the vaccine, it's, it feels a bit like the flu. Mm. So that's all we've got time for today. But you've got another series of your podcast coming up. Tell us about it. That's right. We've got another season of Patient Zero coming out later today, in fact. So this is a series that we made last year. It's all about disease outbreaks. We follow the people who trace outbreaks kind of back to their beginnings. And if you want to hear more or you like season one and you want to hear season two, you can search for RN Presents Patient Zero on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. High drama and very relevant to COVID. Thanks very much, Liv. And we'll see you all on Monday. See you then. Thank you.